0: Get ready, it's time for Motorsports Madness, powered by the staff at Race Chaser Online. Your motorsports, your way, every day. And now, here's your host, Jacob Seelman.
1: What's up? Good evening race fans and welcome to another two hours of motorsports conversation here on the performance motorsports network. It is motorsports madness. My name is Jacob Seelman and we are going to have some fun because it was an incredibly entertaining weekend and we crowned some champions at Homestead Miami Speedway. The NASCAR season has officially passed us by come to an end checkered flag. Say whatever you want. It's done And we get to start looking ahead to 2018 now. But before we do that, we've got a lot to talk about. And we're going to start with Sunday. If you were under a rock, we've got about 60 seconds to kick off this show. About two laps that matters. Here you go.
0: So much adversity. The 78 team has gone through as we see the 42 into the wall. This entire season, it's been one thing after another. Two laps of racing to go as Martin Trex Jr., (laughs) looking for his first championship. The final lap. One lap to go, presented by Credit One Bank. The gap still, a half a second. Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch running one and two. For the final time, they'll go down the backstretch. Martin Truex Jr., 12 years in the Cup Series, and his roller coaster career is finally reaching the peak, putting an exclamation point on a near-perfect season. Mark Jr. is the monster energy Cup Series champion.
1: I believe Rick Allen said it best when he called it an exclamation point on virtually a perfect season, and thanks to our friends at NBC Sports, because, well... The ending was too good for any of us to try and retell the story. I'm joined at the roundtable by Tom Baker, James Pike, Rents Brown, and Cisco Scaramuza as we get set to rock and roll through all of this fun stuff. Gentlemen, James, I'll let you start because you may have done the best job of, of telling the story. Martin Truex Furniture Row, this whole season, this whole journey can be summarized as follows and as you put it best adversity beaten.
2: Yeah, I think that's really what jumps out to me, at least within the context of this year alone. And you saw it so many times, I think over the course of 2017, when Sherry Pollock's had the cancer recurrence in July and Martin goes out and he wins the race at Kentucky when Cole Pern loses his best friends at the age of 35, right before the Watkins Glen race. And they go out, they win that they come back from the pit road penalty in the loose wheel at Chicago land. You, you saw the way Martin broke down in victory lane after he won at Charlotte. You saw everything that happened at Kansas when they spent the evening right before that huge playoff race in the hospital, mourning the loss of their fabricator. And then even this weekend, Barty Visser couldn't even make it to the track because he was recovering from a heart attack. He had two weeks ago. They got so much thrown at them week in and week out this year. And every single time they had an answer and they found a way to really literally use the whole winning cures, all ills thing to best effect. And now here we are. Martin Truex Jr. Is as far as I'm concerned, a very well-deserving monster energy NASCAR cup series champion.
1: I'd say well-deserving is an understatement, Rence Brown. This is a moment that has been 12 years in the making for Truex, a decade in the making for Furniture Row. This is a team that DNQ'd roughly half of their first season in the sport, and yet Mm -hmm. here they are, 2017, standing at the absolute pinnacle. This is the ultimate in rising from the very bottom to the very top i mean this is a run truly that is the stuff of legends
3: when you think of the meme started from the bottom now we hear it literally is furniture row racing a team from denver colorado that is so far off the beaten track of anything in nascar and you got to think about it they're the first champions in a different time zone to win the championship. We've never had a cup series championship team outside of the Eastern time zone guys. That's huge. The other thing too, is I want to piggyback off what James said. It's not even just adversity from this year. Martin tricks has had a fight adversity since he came into the sport. He got his big break from Dale and junior in 2003 in a then Bush series test at Richmond. And Dale said, race my car. He lived with Dale Earnhardt Jr., and they hit it off very well. Won two Bush Series titles and then went to DEI. Their lack of success in DEI didn't help Martin Truex Jr. wound up at Michael Waltrip Racing, which that fell flat on its face after Richmond 2013. And Truex at that point in time, guys, we all thought Truex could be a guy that could contend for playoff races and might not be a championship guy, but someone that we can say, wow, he can do it. Then he goes to Furniture Row. The Sherry News rocks his core, and he thought he was done. He makes a 2015 run, Tom, where he just didn't get the right stuff, and Kyle Busch won the title. But then they went in 2016. We all thought he was going to be the champion. He didn't make it. And then this year, it was the game of what if. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to make the 78 fall off? What bad luck? What bad omens? And you know what, Tom? last night there were no bad omens the sport paid them back and it gave them and the racing gods gave them a moment to relinquish for the rest of their life as being champions of the highest tier in ask our competition
4: well and i think this definitely leaves some interesting little mini subtopics to hit first of all i want to back up to something you mentioned earlier when Truex was at Michael Walter bracing. You kind of have to remember how that all ended. You really can't blame Martin for any of that. And he, he gets over to Furniture Row and he's really, I mean, each year they've done one step better than the last year. And I think, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting, although I don't really know if we can say conclusively that it had anything to do really with the title run this year, is the fact that Jake he wins the championship in eight races in the first year that this was a two car team. I don't know if you can conclusively tie a lot of things back to that, but I just think it's interesting and it will be even more interesting to see what happens next year when they go back to one car, because I think the one advantage that you have with a multi-car team is the data sharing and being able to try different things and, kind of do twice as much research in the same amount of time. But, you know, honestly, I I just think this was one of those seasons that was meant to be. And you could sort of see this coming last year, maybe not eight races worth. But you could see, Jacob, that uh, this was definitely going to be a year in which you were going to have to contend with the seventy eight if you were gonna win the championship.
1: Well, that's exactly right. But I'm gonna disagree, I think. They were every bit as competitive and every bit as fast in two thousand sixteen with the one car as well, they were this kind of what year. I'm saying.
5: This yeah, was a continuation, I, don't tie I feel like to it, but
1: So I'm not worried about them going back to a one-car team and losing any of the speed they had this year because, quite frankly, that 78 team continued to perform Cisco exactly like they did in 2016. The addition of the 77, I'm sure, certainly did not hurt, but you had a driver in Eric Jones who was a fresh rookie. Uh, You had a pretty fresh crew chief over there in Chris Gale, and at the end of the day, I'm not really sure how much it necessarily helped Martin. I think Martin probably helped the 77 team more than anything else, but, you know, what an achievement. 29 years worth. This is the first time since 1988 when Bill Elliott did it out of the family shop in Dawsonville, Georgia, that a championship has gone not back to the greater Charlotte, North Carolina area, but somewhere else. For Denver, Colorado, for Barney Visser, who, as we referenced a minute ago, wasn't even there this weekend, couldn't even be there this weekend, this is a moment that none of them will ever forget, and it's a moment where they look at everybody else in this sport and go, so there, Cisco, we won one.
6: And I don't think this is the end of this either. This team has shown so much speed, and I wonder about, you know, what does the future hold? Are we going to see this team go be able to go out and get a second, a third, a fourth? You know, this team and how much speed they had this year eclipses just one season alone. They can go out and win a whole heck of a lot more races. They were in position to win the championship last year. They got the championship this year. I don't think they're going away anytime soon, Jacob. And I mean, that just is a credit to the whole organization that Barney's put together. It's incredible that in this 10 year span that they've been able to go from, you know, I, th- I think it was Johnny talking about how, you know, they were barely able to make a race to going out there and, you know, being on the highest level of over racing in the world today.
1: Yeah, it's truly amazing to stop and think about and when you look statistically at what this season has been eight wins for Martin Truex which led all drivers more laps led in a championship run than Jimmy Johnson led in any of his seven titles I mean this is a season for Martin Truex Jr. that was flat dominant and probably won't be replicated in this fashion anytime soon and oh by the way for anybody curious uh, if the win Sunday night was destined to be or not He led 78 laps, and I'll just leave it at that, including the final 51. We'll talk more about the championship coming up. We're going to hear from the champion, Martin Truex Jr. Very emotional victory lane interview, very emotional night, obviously. A lot of different caveats to this story that we'll talk about going forward in this show. But we are going to take... Our first break of the evening before we get into all that. So stay tuned. You're listening to Motorsports Madness. We continue breaking down Ford Championship Weekend right after this on the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of
7: motorsports.
9: Hi, I'm Matt Tift, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance
1: Motorsports Network. Welcome back to Motorsports Madness here on the Performance Motorsports Network. Jacob Seelman alongside Tom Baker, James Pike, Rents Brown, Cisco Scaramuza, and also now joined by one of our esteemed panel of analysts who was actually at homestead miami speedway over the weekend steve ovens at the round table tonight as well and i actually steve want to go to you for a minute before we hear from our champion in the monster energy nascar cup series this day was emotional for a whole lot of reasons and at the end of it all we are lucky enough to witness a celebration the likes of which i haven't seen in a long time i mean martin truex sherry Pollocks, furniture row this whole team it was a madhouse and nobody left at the end of this race i think everybody realized on sunday i'm sure you included the magnitude of what we were witnessing when that 78 car took the checkered flag well I, everybody
9: witnessed history the other night is is what happened i mean It's, it's incredible to think that, you know, in this new format, a driver who dominated the entire season and, and we're just looking at the body of work as far as on track performance and and stats for this year. It's amazing that that car that dominated all year in a format that really, uh, can allow you to get a win during the regular season and then catch fire in the playoffs. That car still came out on top. And then you include all those other storylines as to why this was so special for Martin Truex, you know, the, the family, Sherry, the team. I mean, everything you, you think about everything this team has had to endure throughout the season. And to still come out on top, you saw that raw emotion be played out last night. And and people did stick around. I mean, between the people that went down onto the track to, to see Victory Lane and, and the championship presentation in person to uh, the people that remained in the grandstands. I mean, I waited around for quite a while thinking that, you know, the the crowds, you know, getting out in the parking lot and all that. You know, I I like to hang around and kind of take it all in. But I got to tell you, Jacob, I I hung around for a while, and it was still a mass of humanity after hanging (laughs) around a bit. And, And I think it's just because everybody knew that we were truly witnessing history last night, and you just wanted to take in
1: every moment you could. And this was a team that was taking in every moment they could, no more so than in this moment, right after he climbed out of the car i called it a mosh pit for a reason if you saw it on tv it was nuts and this interview from our friends at nbc sports right after martin had uh, gotten to sherry there was a hug there were tears and then these words from the newly crowned champion
10: a lot of it was for a lot of it was for me a lot of it was for this team is just um i don't even know what to say." we just never gave up all day long. We uh, we didn't have the best car. I don't know how we uh, I don't know how we won that thing. Um, never give up, dig deep. I, I told my guys we were going to dig deeper than we ever have today. And the 20 to go, I thought I was done. They were all better than me in the long run all day long. And I just found a way. I found a lane that I could use, and I found a lane that was blocking enough of their air that they couldn't use it. And it was just um, just made it happen. I can't believe it. I've, I've wanted this since I was a little kid, and. Uh, just never give up, man. Never give up on your dreams, no matter what happens, what kind of crap you go through. But um, thank you, Barney. I wish you were here, buddy. Um, thank you, Johnny. And all our partners this year. Uh, what can I say about this team? Cole Byrne, Jazzy, Pete, all the road guys, the guys in Denver, you guys are the best, man. They worked their guts out for me. And uh, I don't even know this is. This is unbelievable. Dream come true. I don't even know. I I couldn't even talk on the caution lamp, so. Just really thankful, really grateful. Thank you to fans, and uh, we're gonna party it up tonight. Are the tears from all the work to get here and all the road to get here. At one point, you thought your career was over, Martin. It's just overwhelming. To think about all the rough days and the bad days, the days that we couldn't run 20th to be here. I, I never thought this day would come, and to be here is just, uh, it's unbelievable. For the first time ever, we get to say that you're a Cup Series champion, and these fans are loving every second of it, Martin. Thank you guys so much. All your support helps us, pushed us through tonight. Helped Sherry with her battle, all the positive info and uh, the positive mojo. We couldn't do it without the fans, and um, I couldn't do it without this team. I couldn't do it without Sherry. All the support. You guys here, NBC, Fox, earlier in the year, with just a dream season, and uh, I was going to be gutted if we didn't win.
1: And yet they didn't have to worry about being gutted, Tom, because they did win, and – at the end of the night, I mean, that was the overriding thing for me. They won. We expected them to win. But yet, as Martin said, they won for the first time all year without the best car. That was amazing.
4: Yeah, it really was. I mean, I think when you when you look at it, you know, you tend to think that you just see the 78 on the track lately, and he's going to just dominate the thing, and nobody's going to be able to stop him. That was anything but the case on sunday even though he led 78 laps he really didn't dominate the race at all until you know it got to a bit of a point almost to the end when i felt like he had it in control but then even at that point kyle bush certainly had a shot at him and you know interesting steve you commenting in our chat that the the crowd pretty much all thought kyle was going to get him and You were saying that you could hear the (laughs) kind of a collective sigh of relief when when that didn't happen.
9: Well, Uh, yeah, it it just when Kyle started to close in on the 78, you you could just the, the angst in the crowd was almost palpable. I mean, people were were really getting on the edge of their seat because. Everybody knew how awesome a story it would have been for the seventy eight car to win and i I almost think that it wasn't so much a you know uh, an anti Kyle Bush theme as much as it was we really want to see this cool story come to fruition. and you know that was it was intense. it was so intense because. You know, he would really close in on him. Kyle would get run after run after run. And, you know, I think that Kyle did have the better car, but it was just a matter of when that pit strategy didn't work out. He was several positions further back than where he would have liked to have been and just had to use up too much of his stuff to get to the 78. And then once he got there, they're just, you know, they were, on even terms and, and, and I'm not going to take anything away from Martin because Martin out drove Kyle at the end when they were on even terms and, and to hold off Kyle Bush. And, and I mean, it was just, it was an incredible performance. There's, there's no other way to say it.
3: Well, the biggest thing too, Steve is the fact that they were the two best cars all season. And they actually racked up a stat that we haven't seen since the late eighties, Kyle Bush and Martin tricks, jr are the first two drivers to lead 2,000 laps in a season since Dale Earnhardt and Rusty Wallace in Rusty's 1989 championship season. But there's something to say about Furniture Row and the fact that we give all the credit to what Martin Trex Jr. has done, and rightfully so, and what Cole Pern's done. But Mm -hmm. I believe you need to give some credit to Kurt Busch because he instilled this idea of what a championship team is supposed to look like And a championship team is supposed to be doing. So when we see what they've become, you have to credit Kurt because Regan Smith got them to a place where they were consistently bringing the car home. Kurt Busch brought them to a place where the shop and the fab shop understood what they need for the body, what they need for the chassis, and what the guys needed to instill in their mind in order to be champions. And then Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern brought them that calm serenity that they needed to kind of weather the storm through so many different adversities throughout their time together. So it's a collective thing with Barney Visser's team. It's not just one thing that I've seen throughout. It's really just the fact that it's just a long line of drivers that have come through. And, you know, it's not just one guy that seems to have done it all. Well, Rance, it's funny that you mentioned
1: Kurt Busch being a big catalyst to Furniture Row Racing winning a championship, because at the end of the day, Cisco, (laughs) Kurt Busch is ultimately the reason that Furniture Row Racing and Martin Truex Jr. were afforded the opportunity to win the championship. If that race stays green, Kyle Busch on his one-stop strategy and fresher tires blows by everybody and... Nobody gets back to him with fresh tires inside 15 or 20 to go, and the 18 wins the race and wins the championship. I mean, if it's not for the elder Bush, I don't think we're talking about Martin Truex. We're probably talking about Kyle Bush.
6: Yeah, and I think you made the comment that it's going to be kind of an awkward Thanksgiving dinner for those guys. Yeah, but
1: nonetheless, if I'm Kurt and Kyle, Thanksgiving's going to be fun on Thursday-ish. <laughs>
6: ish, but nonetheless, still, it was, it was a case where it just— I think I think Martin said it best. You know, they had put so much work into this and, you know, they were hoping that and, you know, they they knew that karma was going to pay them back. They said in the post race interview and it did tenfold because that caution came at the perfect time. And then those last 10 laps and Steve, you said it, you you said it to us that basically everyone in the grandstands and I could tell you that pretty much everybody in our in our chat during the race thought, oh, there's no way Kyle Busch is going to catch him. And then all of a sudden Martin Truex finds a
9: line and he just goes. Uh, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, guys, I wanted to go back to talking about that pit strategy because, you know, listening to monitoring both of their radios, the, the 18 and the 78, when all of this happened, you know, you think about it, guys, when, when the 18 was on the one-stop strategy, You know, the 78, they decided to come down pit road and and try to pit earlier than the other cars because they were in a bad situation at that point. They needed to do something that would try and give them some kind of edge to either get back to the lead or as close to the lead as they could, and... There was nothing that was going to make the I mean, the 18 Adam Stevens, Kyle Bush, they were confident in that strategy. It almost paid off for them. But, you know, there was so many things that had to go right. You know, Martin said at post race, the pit strategy went our way. And when they got that caution, boy, did it ever because they were in a bad spot at that point in the race because there had been so many green flag laps. Mm hmm. It didn't, Jacob. It didn't look like a caution was coming the way the race ran.
1: No, no. And actually, it's funny that you say that, Steve, because in Friday night's truck race and Saturday. Knight's Xfinity race, there was no caution in the final stage. The final stage ran green to checker in both of those events, which I think had everybody a little bit on edge there until the Kurt Busch spin that really set the wheels of all this in motion. So, well, you know, one moment changed the whole thing and sent the 78 on their way. We're going to step away when we come back. We're going to talk about the two drivers and hear from one of the two who both, uh, we believe, ran their final Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series races on Sunday in Miami. Conversation on Dale Jr. and Matt Kenseth as they exit the sport when we come back. You're listening to The Madness here on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
7: or you can email them at office at bsrinc.com. Drift Nirvana, getting you sideways the right way. HMS Motorsport is
4: the leader in motorsport safety. HMS serves the majority of Monster Energy NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Camping World Truck teams, many IndyCar and IMSA WeatherTech teams, as well as countless SCCA and club-level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout North America, featuring world-renowned brands like Stilo Helmets, Schroep Belts, Adidas Suits and Shoes, HJC Helmets, Orca Driver Gear, Lifeline fire systems and even race com radio kits. HMS representatives are experts in their field and focused on only one thing making your track driving as safe as possible. With locations in Mooresville, North Carolina and Danvers, Massachusetts, the staff at HMS is always ready to take the time and help you find the right product for your safety needs. Don't settle for second when it comes to motorsport safety. Stop in HMS Motorsport. Visit them on their website at hmsmotorsport.com or send them a message on Facebook and tell them the folks from PMN Radio sent ya.
11: What an awesome game
8: Hi, this is Austin Terrio, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back to Motorsports Madness here on the Performance Motorsports Network. Jacob Seelman alongside Tom Maker, James Pike, Cisco Scaramuza, Rents Brown, and Steve Ovens. I think I got the whole list right in one breath there. Whew. Half a dozen of us—that is a six-pack. Steve, is there a Budweiser six-pack somewhere? Are we talking Dale Jr. in this segment? Is that is that where the six people and the you know the six-pack <laughs> reference comes from? Well, let me put it to you this way, boys:
9: there was a six-pack. Um, however, uh, the the rem the remnants of the six-pack has now gone to the recycling center.
1: Something like that, or rather, they were drank and discarded by junior and the eighty eight crew because Steve, right on pit Road, yes, right on pit road, <laughs> please, please regale us about the pit party. This was wonderful
9: yeah that that was something that uh, they hadn 't really talked about uh as far as media goes, uh leading up to uh you know how everything shook out there after the checkered flag was was their own but um you know after handing over the helmet to to mr h uh there was uh many of budweiser product passed around to all the all the crew members uh standing around the car and and they all had a nice toast there uh as as that final send-off after finishing their last race together and you know that just really capped off which was uh a very emotional day and in, in a, in a, in a great off as far as I'm concerned.
4: You know, it really was. And I sort of expected junior to be a little bit more competitive than he was. At least I thought he would be based on what we'd seen during the weekend for speed out of that car, but um, just didn't happen for him. But you know what? This was really more about, his overall career and Steve, I don't care what anybody else says, you know, championship or no championship. The man has done more for the sport than most average fans will ever realize. And particularly he continues to do for the sport through owning the team. And of course, you know, his broadcasting and such. I mean, he's, he's really, he got put in a, a situation of the worst possible making when you know his dad was killed in 2001 and uh he kind of inherited that role as the face of the sport and i think he's for the most part handled it with great great class and grace and uh i honestly believe that um you know he's going to continue to make a big difference in the sport and do a lot for the sport as a team owner as a broadcaster as a part of hendrick motorsports ongoing And, you know, probably in a lot of ways that none of us really know anything about
9: because he doesn't broadcast them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, from the competitive standpoint, Tom, I I think those guys burning a piston on Friday really, really put them behind the eight ball because, you know, they they qualified, you know, to make it uh, through to the second round of qualifying. But because they knew they had to start at the back, they chose not to go out for round two and try to make the final round. And so in starting in the back, you know, he clawed his way up to about 18th place before the first uh, caution of the event came out. And, And, you know, they really did have a fast car. Unfortunately in that first run, Kyle Larson just had an even better car and, you know, though they made it up to 18th, they fell a lap down and, you know, it just kind of went on from there. And then, you know, you know, they were running within the top 20 pushing top 15 before that tire went down. And, and they, you know, I don't think they got a chance to really show that, but talking big picture, that's, that's the thing. I mean, what, and I wrote it in, in one of my reflection blogs this weekend was, when, when you think of Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s legacy and, and, and you know, his driving career, you're not going to reach for the stat book right offhand. You, you know, you're going to think of all these other things that he has done that has helped carry the sport and, and you know, just putting himself out there for his fans and people that are not his fans um, you know, that's, that's the leg is, you know, the, the, the normal average guy who, you know, grew up doing lube Boyle filters at Dale Earnhardt Chevrolet that just wanted to get into racing to make a career. Um, he would have been okay going back and doing lube Boyle filters if he had to do that. But, you know, the guy that just wanted to make a living racing cars, which he enjoyed so much, that's. That's the guy, you know, that's the legacy as far as I'm concerned. And, and I think that all those contributions along with what he's going to be able to do as a broadcaster, you know, uh, this is, this is worthy of, of, of a hall of fame election here, uh, in the not too uh, distant future guys, that that's where I stand on it. And I don't stand on that as just a fan, but you've got to look at the whole body of work. They call it a hall of fame, not a hall of statistics. And I think when Dale's name comes up, that's the conversa- That's what the conversation's going to be.
1: Well, before the conversation shifts to a potential Hall of Fame career and into the booth, the conversation, as we mentioned, was a pit party on pit road. Dale's last ride ended right
5: here. That was pretty fun. I hate to hit the ball because we'd have finished a little bit better. We lost about 10 spots getting that flat. But the deal I had with Rick was that if... If I, uh, finish the race with the car in one piece, I get the car and he gets the helmet. Why so, not? yeah. So I'm going to take this thing back home. It's, uh, got a little scuff here and there. We ran into Shrek's on the back straightaway cause we high fiving him with our race car. <laughs> and, uh, proud of him, man. What a story for Martin. I love it. I mean, we're, we're retiring and Martin wins the championship. That's a storybook. So, uh, hope all fans enjoyed this season. I know, uh, wasn't everything we wanted on the racetrack, but we sure had fun off of it and going to miss everybody. Uh, But we'll be back.
7: Can you describe on the cool down lap what was going on inside, Dale?
5: I was happy for Martin. I was like, man, I'll catch up here to him and run into his car. (laughs) Um, I think everybody was running into him. So, uh, you know, I was just thinking about Martin, really. But uh, I knew that I'd finished this race, so we was going to meet on pit road with his cooler and uh, have have some beers with my team. These guys are like my brothers, and uh, we really fight for each other, lean on each other, and uh, these are the friendships that I'll have long beyond my racing days. And uh, so this is a good good moment with them. Are
10: they coming on the road with us?
5: Are they coming on the road? With NBC? Well, oh, with next. I don't know. They'll, they'll. They're still working, right? A lot of us just still, still going to be working on this car for Alex next year, and he's getting him one hell of a crew. So these are top-shelf, top top-notch guys, man.
7: The last lap's been Rundale. What's it like?
5: Well, I'm, uh, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure what, what, the, what the feeling is. I didn't have any real – I didn't cry until I was hugging Rick, neck, Rick's neck. Man, he's been like a father to me and the things that he's done for me uh, personally and professionally, but the personal stuff. you know, He's really, really helped me more than anybody will ever know and uh he's done that for a lot of people and uh so i uh will miss trying to make him proud you know and i know i'll still be able to do things that will make him proud because he's like a daddy but i'll miss trying i'll miss driving his cars and um trying to make him proud on the racetrack
7: people came from thousands of miles to watch you race one last time he gave him he uh, gave him a thrill really
5: well i don't know we speak we uh we hope they enjoyed it, and, and uh, they got to see a great race there at the end. I was, I was sitting there riding behind that, watching that, and it was pretty exciting. We'll be at the racetrack a little bit with our Xfinity stuff next year. We'll run a couple races, so we'll say hey to everybody when we come back and do that. And obviously, we're going to be in the booth, but we'll be around. And um, still want to have uh, a purpose in this sport. You know, after driving, you got to find something you're passionate about, something that matters to you. And, I think I, I, I think I might have found that with broadcasting, and, and obviously still only in junior motorsports, we're going to be competitive and, and competitor inside. You will still be on fire and, and trying to keep that team going. I just texted uh, Ellie Sadler all, all morning about like, man, we're going to come back next year. You just get your head right over the offseason. season. We're coming right back here to try to win that thing again, because uh, you know, because we want to, we, we want to be a part of this sport as long as we can. We really do. Um, it's time for somebody else to get this car. It's a great opportunity for Alex, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, but we definitely want to be a part of
10: the sport no matter what. Well, on behalf of all of us who kind of grew up with you in this sport, thank you. You
8: provided us the life's work.
5: Thank you so much. And, again, congratulate, uh, congratulations to Martin. No matter who won our championship tonight, we had four amazing race car drivers uh, that would have represented the sport. Uh, but I, I, am, I am happy that Martin did it. What, a, what an accomplishment for his life. I've known him so long, man, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad to see him accomplish that for himself and his family. Incredible. Dale Jr., the final ride at Homestead.
1: It was special, James, and as Earnhardt goes, we know he'll more than likely pick up the 15th and final NMPA Most Popular Driver Award in succession of his career. So who's next? Who takes the mantle from here?
2: I think we saw a glimpse of that over the final few weeks of the season at Martinsville and Texas at Phoenix. And that guy in what will be the nine machine for 2018 Chase Elliott, the way everybody responded to him and the way the response to what happened between he and Denny Hamlin and the way everybody's just kind of shot up with some sort of emotional reaction, the sort of groundswell that Chase got. I think, across the country and even the globe, makes him a pretty solid favorite to take over that most popular driver role for 2018. And to a large degree, I think that's very fitting, because before it was Dale Earnhardt Jr. winning the award, the guy who dominated that award was none other than Chase's dad, Bill, who won it. 16 times. So maybe we're just passing it back and forth between Earnhardt's and Elliot's. And once Chase retires, it might be Dale's uh, upcoming little girl. Who's going to be joining us in may, who knows, maybe she'll be next and we'll just keep on playing ping pong. I don't know, (laughs) but I think we at least have to consider it.
6: And there was something in the speech that junior made or the interview that really, you know, I think Dale Jarrett touched on a little bit in the post-race show. the, uh, relationship between Mr. H and Junior, you know, that father-son relationship. Here's a, here's a father who lost his son and here's a son who lost his father. And just how important that relationship is and how much each of them have done for each other has been, yeah. you know, it's been a magical connection even before Junior was a part of Hendrick Motorsports. So just you could hear the passion and the emotion in that voice.
1: Yeah, for both of them, actually, Rick's comments really got to me uh, during the post-race show, Uh, just, you know, saying how much he – had appreciated Dale's time and uh, what Dale had done for him as well. Uh, So it's going to be different. I know that. But uh, definitely looking forward to seeing Junior Motorsports carry on. Alex Bowman carry on the legacy of the 88. Dale's excited, so we should all be excited, I believe. And uh, we are still going to talk about Matt Kenseth a little bit later on in this show. After the break, we're going to transition to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Speaking of Junior Motorsports, they took home a championship. We'll talk about that in our next segment. You're listening to Motorsports Madness. Back with more on PMN right after this.
7: Okay,
9: so, Sarah, I'm dropping you off at Emily's? Yep. And, Josh, you're going to?
11: Soccer, Dad. Soccer practice.
9: Right. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to let you know when I pick you both up, I'll be wearing my short shorts.
2: What? No!
9: Yep and my dorky dad
2: hat, and I'm
9: gonna do my dad dance for all your friends.
2: They'll love it! Seriously?
8: Why?
9: Because I like my short shorts. Of course, I could be talked out of it if you guys would just buckle up your seat belts without giving me a hard time.
8: It's important to get your kids to buckle up for safety, no matter what it takes. And sometimes, all it takes is your parental powers of persuasion.
2: Okay, okay, we're buckling up. See, all buckled.
12: Good choice, I'll just have to do my dad
5: dance at dinner time.
8: What, what? No! no! Do what you have to to make sure your kids are wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ag Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information.
7: Parents, your son or daughter has had their license for a while now, but you want to make sure they're prepared for any situation they may face on the road. High school driver's ed doesn't teach them to drive defensively. They need to be prepared for any highway emergency. For less than a month's insurance, and a whole lot less,
8: At what age and size should a child start using a booster seat?
5: Uh, Don't assume you know it all when it comes to car seats for your child. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat and know for sure. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
12: Hi, I'm NASCAR driver William Byron. You're listening to Motorsports Madness on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
1: Did somebody call for a segue and the champion? Yeah, we just did that. Welcome back to Motorsports Madness here on PMN and the newly crowned champ, (laughs) William Byron, bringing us out from break to talk about, well, William Byron. Because the nine crew did it, I said it a week ago, I stuck by it, and boom, confetti. James Pike, he didn't win the race, but... He was there. It was fun, and when it came down to it, oh, what would a championship battle be without a little controversy?
2: A little bit of controversy there at the end between—I guess we really have to count three drivers now in this, don't we? Uh, Because you had Byron, who you know it obviously worked out for, but you also had Elliott Sadler and Ryan Priest in there as well. Yeah. Now. All three of them were racing for position, but it was just Byron and Sadler racing for the title. Byron was able to get around Sadler, and then Sadler had a little bit of trouble clearing Ryan Priest, to say the least.
1: Just a little. Just a little, Rents. Yeah, so Elliot versus Byron turned into Elliot versus Priest, and... My two cents is the nine got around the the eighteen by using the bottom of the racetrack cleanly. I mean,
3: I'm just saying. Well, it was Elliot versus Byron, and then me apparently my Darth Vader voice versus young Ryan Blaney. So, there was that going on, I guess. But you know, it, it it's one of those. I understand Elliot Sadler's frustration. Let me start with that. I understand it. A championship was on the line. Ryan Priest was paid to race. He was not paid to pull over. If anything, Elliot Sadler has only one person to blame. And that's himself because William Byron was able to pass the 18 perfectly fine. How come Elliot Sadler wasn't? It's not about what priest did. It's the fact that Sadler at the end of the day, unfortunately does what Sadler does best. And he cannot Close the deal. He's never been able to do it in the Xfinity series. He, I don't think, ever will be able to close the deal with that mindset because he kind of went into it with the mindset of I'm better than the nine. He was better than the nine he was in clean air, but it didn't make a difference because at the end of the day, he threw it away, Tom. He threw it away doing what Elliot Sadler does best. And it's unfortunate I have to say that, but it's the truth.
1: Hang on a minute. I'm just gonna be clear here everybody's trying to crucify Ryan priest said he saying he didn't understand the situation. He was racing for position in the owner's championship, Tom. And let's be, let's be clear. Second in the owner's championship. Yeah. Sam Hornish was 10 seconds up, but second in the owner's championship pays a heck of a lot more to that team than third.
4: Okay. So first of all, let's be clear about this. Elliot Sadler had an entire race to win a championship. Elliot Sadler was ahead of William Byron. William Byron chased his butt down because Elliott Sadler couldn't pass Ryan Priest fair and square. And William Byron caught up. Now, Elliot Sadler didn't comment after the race on how he slid up into William Byron and nearly took them both out. I mean, at the end of the day, Elliot Sadler has caused his own demise in this situation, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm very disappointed in Elliot's demeanor after the race because I thought it was just really poor sportsmanship, to be honest. Ryan Priest has an obligation to do his job as a racer for Joe Gibbs Racing, and there's absolutely no reason why Ryan Priest should have just moved over and let Elliot Sadler go. That's all I'm going to say about that. And anybody who disagrees with that just doesn't understand that there's more than just a driver's championship at stake here. Elliot had his chance. And at the end of the race, William Byron was simply the better driver period.
1: I'm, sitting here in complete shock that Tom is defending Ryan Priest for running for the owner's championship, which the rest of the year Tom conveniently tries to pretend doesn't exist. Whoa, well, what? wait a minute.
2: What, no, what? Hold on a
1: second now. Just let me re- make that clear real quick that I may not think
4: the owner's championship is that big of a deal to spend time talking about on the radio, but it came into play at the end of this race. And nonetheless, it is still a thing that pays good money to the teams. Yeah. So I just think in nascar it's the driver's championship that we all need to be focusing on not so much the owners james
2: i will say that i mostly agree with all the above though i think we need to also make clear that there is a small case to be made for sadler if you believe that byron was so much quicker than sadler that he had to get around ryan priest within that one lap where he made contact with the eighteen the championship was gone and therefore it was worth risking everything in that one moment to try and go get him that being said there were 10 laps to go and i felt like that both of those two cars were relatively even on speed and not that i'm a betting man but if i were to place bookie odds on it i'd say that the odds were far greater that sadler could have run byron back down if he had just been patient especially since given what priest said in the post-race interview, I'd be very, very surprised if Priest wouldn't have basically let Sadler go the next time by if he felt like that whole championship deal was too much to him. He said, you know, once Byron got around him, it didn't really mean anything. So if that's the case, I have a feeling he probably would have let Sadler go and we would have had a championship fight anyway. Ultimately, I think it just came down to Elliot had a lack of patience when he needed it most.
1: Well, we've kind of all gone four-on-one here. For a minute, and I want Steve to have a chance to uh, offer a rebuttal here. So, Steve, you are Team Sadler. Why? I am Team Sadler, and and I
9: thought I was completely alone on this island this weekend after reading the onslaught on social media against one elliot Sadler. However, veteran racer who uh, raced in his last full time. Uh, Xfinity race this past weekend. Brendan Gaughan is also on that island with me. Oh, really? He, he made a point Sunday morning during the, the serious uh, fantasy show uh, talking about the fact that an old school show of respect would have been to let those two cars go and compete for that championship. And there is a huge difference between... Well, if he was just going to lay over and let him go, why is he even out there racing? There's a difference between just laying over and letting these guys compete for the championship because Priest ran the one much harder. He hardly gave Byron a fight when Byron got up next now, to him. Now,
1: Steve, I'm going to disagree with that
9: because well, I, I watched the... Te- no, no,
1: no, I, I'll, I say this from the telemetry of the nine. not Nothing to do with the 18. Priest kept his line the same both laps. William Byron, when he got around Ryan Priest used a dive bomb moves the likes of which I had not seen anybody do all race long to pitch it through and make the slide job. It looked like Kyle Larson on dirt the way the nine got around him. It may have looked like priest laid over, but that was more on Byron making an aggressive pass as far as I'm concerned than the eighteen. So let me let me put this out there, guys. Let's think about this
9: for a second. Ryan Priest has done more than proven himself in the opportunities that he had this year and and he has 10 races to keep proving himself next year however for a person that has done so much to prove himself but still has not been able to take that those performances and turn that into a full-time ride to me guys it's things like this that I just, I feel like, again, I go back to what Brendan said, you know, it, racing has changed and, you know, the old school way of doing things of show and respect and letting these guys run, run for the champ. I mean, for, for a person that is, is, is clawing his way to get a full-time ride. This is not the headline you wanted to make this weekend. Okay. And I realize you're going for an owner's championship, but I mean, the owner's championship was out of sight, like 15 seconds out of sight. That's where I struggle with this. And, and I realize me, I'm on an island and I'm crazy and that's fine. Let me just make racing a quick point has changed. Here. Let me just
4: make a quick point here. First of all, what I saw when Elliot Sadler got to Priest was much the same as when Chase Elliott got to Ryan Newman a few weeks back. He did not race him nearly as aggressively as he should have. He should have just passed him, period, like William Byron did. William Byron wanted it more at the end. And as far as the the excuse that Ryan Priest is going for a full-time ride and not being able to get, that's all a bunch of hooey, in my opinion. I don't think that even comes into this argument. Ryan Priest has an opportunity next year to run about a third of the races in that car because of his performances. And I don't think racing the way he did this past weekend is going to make any difference whatsoever. In fact, Jacob, I would agree 100% that if it did anything, it probably showed that Ryan is willing to race everybody the same. I mean, I'm sorry, but I, I don't buy any of this. Elliot Sadler just completely blew it for himself and he had his chance. He just didn't take it. I'll agree with that.
1: I'll also say, James, at the very least, (laughs) I like the fact that we're talking about this and talking about people actually racing for something. No disrespect to the way this turned out last year, but I like this situation a whole lot better than Cole Witt staying out on 40-lap older tires a year ago and affecting the Xfinity Championship outcome.
2: Oh, my goodness. This is so much better than that because at least Priest legitimately deserved to be up there and had a car fast enough to be up there and didn't really have any, you know, it wasn't a case where he didn't have any business doing any sort of silly pit strategy to screw over actively screw over Eric Jones's championship like we and company did last year. So there's a plus.
1: Yeah. anyway, so we're going to step aside. we got another hour to work with here on the Madness. When we come back, we continue talking Xfinity and a little bit of the Newswire. You're listening to Motorsports Madness here on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
12: these tragedies before they happen, don't drink and drive.
2: For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.
6: I'm Kaz Grawlin. You're listening to
11: Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network.
1: Uh, Welcome back to Motorsports Madness here on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network. We all got so rowdy after... uh talking about Elliot Sadler and Ryan Priest in the last segment that we never actually got to hear from our champion, William Byron, who we're going to hear from here in just a moment. Before we do that, if you're just joining us, good evening. And I hate you missed our first hour because it's been fun. This hour is going to be just as fun. Jacob Seelman, alongside Tom Baker, James Pike, Rents Brown, Cisco Scaramuza, and Dr. Dirt Steve Ovens, Who was at Homestead Miami this weekend and gets to talk about pavement for a change? Because, you know, we do that sometimes. William Byron wins a championship and has only been racing for five years. I was actually at his very first Legends car race. And to see this meteoric rise through the sport in a five-year span... Avenging the heartbreak from Homestead a year ago to win the Xfinity Championship. I mean, this, as much as Martin Truex's was emotional, William Byron's seemed almost destined in a way for him just on account of they wanted vengeance. He wanted vengeance, and he got it. Uh, This was a championship season that really proved he belongs. And after everything was said and done, he had a lot to say about it, as well as delivering car owner Dale Earnhardt Jr., a championship in his going away weekend. So let's hear from William Byron on a title-winning season, and then we'll get to some more on junior motorsports.
12: William, we're just going to turn it over to you. Why don't you tell us what it's like to be the champion? Uh, it's, it's awesome. It's uh, this is an incredible feeling, and uh, just thankful for, for all the people that have made it happen. Um, you know, Dale, uh, Kelly, really LW, the first meeting we had was, was uh, when I was 15 years old. And uh, talking about running a late model is actually this weekend. So um, you know it's come a long way, and just very thankful for everyone that's made it happen.
10: First, Dale,
2: how is this for a retirement gift? And William, how is this to nice, nice to give Dale a championship on his big weekend?
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I'm happy for William. What this this kid has, he's a total package. Obviously, we see he's got talent, and um, but I think what uh, is going to be exciting. For me, Kelly, LW, Dave, everybody that already knows him so well, is to watch everybody else get to know what kind of person he is. And um, as he goes on in the Cup Series, uh, and he gets introduced to the fans and the industry more, it's going to be fun to hear everybody else see what we already see. So uh, I appreciate William's efforts came in as a rookie. We never had to worry about any rookie mistakes he's drove like a veteran all year and uh thrilled for him to be able to take this trophy uh and put it into his uh his resume as he moves on up into the cup series next year
12: yeah i would say it's just um it's been an awesome few years to to come back to this company and and really grow with it and to see the commitment they had to me to to get me back to this point in the Xfinity Series and, and run for a championship and put the people around me that it would take to, to do that is is really awesome. So uh, we, we learned a lot this year. Um, Dave and I got so much better together, and um, we really were at our best the last few races. So i um, just thankful for everything that Dale, Kelly, um, LW, Mr. Hendrick have given me. It's, um, it's a total team effort, and um, it's really cool. Kelly, you kind of alluded to this, so whoever would like to talk about it, but um, it was certainly dramatic in the last
3: few laps there. Would you like to to talk about the uh, the final outcome and kind of what went down in the last 10 laps?
5: Well, I'd really <laughs> like to know, I'd actually like to know from William, you know, when, when Elliot got position on you, you had been in front of Elliot for most of the night, you had a little more speed on the early part of the run and could get that position on him. Yeah. And it was hard for him to get back by you, but eventually he did. You came over the radio screaming about how loose your car was. How did you gain composure or just chill out to where you're, you know, you just waited patiently and, you know, next thing you know you're you you have the speed uh, to get back up there and and challenge him. I was just really amazed by how that happened, you know, and that's just something I I thought as soon as you came over the radio and said your car was extremely loose, really really loose, I I didn't think that you would make that comeback. I was just really impressed by that and would like you to explain to me uh, <laughs> <laughs> how, oh, yeah. how you got I, it, how you pulled together like that. It was so impressive.
12: I don't know. It's just kind of like the, um, you know, really when Elliot would get in front of me, I'd get tighter, and so it would help me a little bit to to kind of have him in front of me, and then um, when I started to get to running against the wall, the closer I got, the the more grip I had on exit, and kind of kind of used it like a like a cushion and, um, you know, it, it was working that way for me before, but, um, you know, it was a little bit tight and it was easier to do it. So I had to be kind of right against it and, and kind of feel, feel it out and just kind of control my throttle input. So I w- didn't, uh, hit the right front with it, but I don't know, it just kind of, it just worked out. So I don't, I don't really know, but it was, uh, <laughs> I was thinking, thinking the same thing when it got really loose on me. I was thinking, uh, I don't know how I'm going to figure this one out. So. I just worked out.
5: It was crazy.
1: (laughs) So, Steve, I believe we may have seen a little bit of NBC Dale in that? Yes, and I think that's going to be a whole
9: lot more entertaining than even water cooler Dale, (laughs) to be quite (laughs) honest with you. Yes, absolutely. I I think that as this year has gone on, and, and I attribute some of this, guys, to even his work on his own podcast this year. I think without realizing, you know, that that may have been uh, something that could be the best training for him going into this NBC role and and little fun opportunities like that in a press conference, you know, being able to explain and think of the right question to ask because he's been behind the wheel. Mm
1: -hmm. I think it's going to be truly entertaining. Oh, gosh. And and that whole clip from the press conference just in itself, Dale answering for his sister, lots of funny things. Dale was just having fun all weekend long, whether it was Xfinity or the the Cup car. I want to shift gears and talk about a little bit of news now, Cisco. Actually, both of these nuggets tie into Roush Fenway Racing. The first news nugget happened on Friday in the fact that JGL Racing – is switching to Ford from Toyota in 2018. They've entered a technical alliance with Roush Fenway Racing, and they've hired Kaz Grala from GMS in the truck series to jump up and drive a full-time Xfinity car next year. If that weren't enough, Roush Fenway is bringing back the 60 car, turning it into the Ford driver development team, and you're going to see Ty Majeski, Chase Briscoe, and Austin Sindrick split that car in 2018. Are we hype yet?
6: We're hype, but as you brought it up earlier on, there is a downside to all of this, and it's the fact that that's a lot of truck drivers coming up into the Xfinity series. We knew it was going to happen But this is, I'm starting to wonder now. We've been worrying about it now for, I'd say, about two months. Where are the truck drivers going to come from here?
1: That's a good question. James, do we have an answer to said question? Can we brainstorm an answer to said question?
2: Less trucks. I mean, I think this goes back to a point that we've made intermittently throughout the season that uh, the truck series has issues with, yeah. getting enough money for people to be able to run intermediate tracks because yeah. it was a series that was never designed to run intermediate tracks in the first place. Yeah. And Amen. most of the problems that are going to get solved only come when they bring more short tracks back to the schedule and make that series more like the intermediary between the k and Pro Series East and West and the Xfinity Series that it was originally supposed to be.
1: Tom, you get 30 seconds to rant. Go. Well, not necessarily a rant, but
4: just pointing out two less Keslowski trucks, yeah. one less GMS truck. Well, we okay. don't
1: know that it's gonna be one less GMS truck. We just know that Kaz well, isn't gonna be I'll, driving it.
4: Yeah, they could hire they could bring in somebody else, I suppose, but you know, certainly three less drivers as far as we know. Yeah. Um, and an uncertain future with the uh uh question still hanging over the head about So, you know, what the motor package is going to be and how that's all going to work out. So, you know, kind of an interesting future for the Truck Series uh, going into next year. And I fear that we're not going to have even as many full-time drivers in the Truck Series we had this year. And that is definitely not good.
1: No, it's not because we have eight slots in the playoffs and we yes I hope we're not struggling to barely fill those we'll just have to wait and see we're going to step aside speaking of the truck series that's where the conversation goes after this you're listening to motorsports madness and we talk trucks after this here on the performance motorsports network
3: Hi, I'm Tyler Dipple and you're
2: listening to the Performance Motorsports Network. Now back to the show.
1: <laughs> Party time, Stevo. <laughs> Everybody do the Dipple. It never gets old. <laughs> it really doesn't. Welcome back to Motorsports Madness here on PMN. Jacob Seelman and a cast of thousands or a six-pack because, you know, the Budweiser references in in this show for Dale Jr's last ride never get old. Tom Baker, Steve Ovens, James Pike, Rentz Brown, Cisco Scaramuza all with me here around the round table and have all had a lot to say during the course of this program so far. We talk trucks now for a couple of segments and we talk Tom about the most dominant driver of the season, all three of those won the championships. Martin Truex was probably the most dominant of the dominant drivers, but Christopher Bell did pretty darn good in his own right. Five wins, and if it wasn't for that darn Chase Briscoe kid, I mean, he'd have walked away with the win, too. Well, you know, it's actually the truth, and Chase
4: really saved the best for last, didn't he? I mean, I kind of thought for the first good part of the race that it would be his teammate austin Sindrick if there was going to be a bkr car in victory lane or bkr truck i guess i should say in victory lane then it would be austin Sindrick who would end up being that particular uh truck but you know he kind of faded toward the end and chase briscoe got stronger and you know was really and again this this race was indicative of the way the rest of the weekend would go yeah very few cautions um nothing really serious to to speak of and you know a, a a good race to the finish for the championship uh you know Christopher Bell and William Byron two of the best young racers in NASCAR each win the championship and then move on to the next series for next year
1: yeah Yeah, it was really uh, an interesting scenario. And, Steve-O, you're a dirt guy at heart and predominantly on this show. I'm sure you had to be grinning a a storm at the end of that race because a dirt guy won the race, a dirt guy won the championship, and they drove Homestead like dirt guys, high, wide, and handsome.
9: Yeah, they really did, and and it took a lot of uh – Control on that gas pedal to to navigate uh, through those corners. I mean, I I it I think this is the first time I remember it, guys. But people at Homestead this weekend were talking about the track surface like we talk about Atlanta. Yeah. And 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 I'm sure it's been said that way in the past. But it just seemed like being there this weekend, you heard it at every turn people talking about how you know the the track surface is so abrasive now and these guys you know even in the trucks really had to be on the wheel and and even at the end guys you know when when Christopher Bell is in position to win the championship and and still wanting to get more positions and and battle with with the leaders you know they were practically pleading with him on the radio please you know don't put yourself in a bad spot he had a 10 trucks. second
1: lead at that
9: point over solder Well, well, yes, but when they were coming up on on lap trucks and and you know racing around other trucks, not you know not just being single file and taking things easy, you know they, they, it was it was kind of funny listening to them because they knew that they had it in their grasp and, and they just yeah. didn't want something crazy to happen, but uh, yeah, for the dirt
1: guy, I love it. I love it. All right, before we hear from our champion, Rents Brown, <laughs> Oh, the weekend for BKR. I mean, Sindrick contended for the championship. Briscoe dominated that race. He led about 70% of the 134 laps in that race, 80, 86 or, or somewhere in there. I mean, to get his first win in BKR's last race, I couldn't have come up with a more perfect send-off besides Sindrick beating Bell for the championship. I mean, this was emotional for Brad, too, yeah. in victory lane.
3: Well, it really was. And, you know, I believe for Brad Kozlowski, it was a good send-off for him. It's something that he always really wanted to see. And this was the type of season where we thought, I believe, Chase Briscoe was going to be the guy for Brad Kozlowski racing. I mean, yeah. we didn't really have much expectation for those two trucks just because they were both rookies. But... Austin Sintrick rose to the occasion. I mean, that wasn't the prettiest rise to the occasion, but he rose. And Chase Briscoe chipped away race by race by race by race. And just at the end, it just took, you know, 32 races too late, if you think about it in that sense. And there was something about this weekend, about a certain driver dominating the race. And it was this rookie, almost this rookie swing, if you think about it, Jacob, in the bottom two series. You would chase Briscoe, pretty much just obliterate the field all night long in the trucks, and then Cole Custer completely destroyed the field on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. can I make and a
1: point real quick that we all got so irritated and frustrated with William Byron and Elliot Sadler and Ryan Priest that we failed to mention that Cole Custer
3: won the Xfinity race by 15 seconds? Well, <laughs> that, by the way... And Steve was there to witness the awe-inspiring Cole Custer, by the way, not to get off topic. But he won by the largest margin in the history of Homestead-Miami Speedway in any division that's ever raced on the Oval there. And also led the most laps ever in any Xfinity series or, I think, any race ever at Homestead as well, which is just ridiculous. But for the Fords, it's going to be interesting because there will be a Ford, I believe, next year on track, Jacob. We just don't know who. But Ford isn't Ford's going not going to go anywhere in the truck series. It's just a shame that Brad Keselowski racing is going away because ski racing and Kyle Busch Motorsports, if you think about it, Tom, are the two sort of tiers of bringing guys into the sport. They're the two tiers, Tom, of raising guys and giving them the opportunity to grow and making kind of a run like Christopher Bell, like Tyler Reddick like you know eric jones so on and so forth
4: i don't know where ford fits in i mean we haven't heard anything and the two drivers that were in those trucks are both now going to part-time xfinity rides so unless ford's still going to bring them back for trucks jacob and the xfinity i'm not so sure you're going to see a major ford effort in the truck series next year but i guess we'll have to wait and see
1: We will have to wait and see. Uh, I know the Ford question mark is a very big thing in the Truck Series garage right now, but what was not a question mark and rather a big old period on one heck of a season was Christopher Bell's runner up finish to win the championship. And we got sound from the happy champion after the race.
5: Christopher, this was uh, obviously your first championship, but you finished the 2017 season with five wins, 15 top five finishes. 21 top 10 finishes, and five Keystone Light Pole Awards. Solid, solid statistics there. Exciting race uh, throughout the night. You stayed up close to the front. Talk us through how things went from your perspective. Well, it was
11: really, really, I don't know. I, I don't want to say smooth sailing, but uh, things went, went our way. As soon as we fired off there, I, I knew that my, my truck was really, really good. I could kind of just take it easy. Um, whenever you get to these pavement races, and you can go fast without trying as hard. You're always in better shape because you can take care of your tires so much easier. And I was able to really run the bottom of one and two at the beginning of the race and make really good time down there. And uh, it was really beneficial for me because I was keeping my truck out of out of danger down there. But uh, those guys kept getting better and better each restart, and uh, we kept tightening up, tightening up, which I think hurt our fire off speed. But over the long run, it made it safer for me to drive, and it paid off.
2: You started the season with the win in Chili ball, You end as a NASCAR champion. Uh, any comparison between the two, and can it get any better?
11: As a calendar year overall, I don't think it gets much better than that. But uh, you, you can't compare the two. One of them is a race, and one of them is a, a championship over a course of a year. But uh, So, hey, it's really tough to compare them, but to be able to win both is definitely a dream come true.
12: How hard was it
11: not to want to race for the win with everything that was at stake and as solid as your car was? I mean, I heard Hirschman on the the radio, he's just
4: trying to keep you, you know, focused on the big prize, but how difficult when you're a racer is it not to want to go out to the league?
11: Well, it's extremely difficult, and that's a a product of uh, this format. I mean, I would have loved to have been able to lock it up and, and race for a win tonight, but um, you know, you never know if you have a late, late, late race restart or uh, you saw over the course of the restarts throughout the race that all of the playoff trucks ended up right around each other, and we had to race really hard to, to get that track position. But you know, at the end of the race, whenever I was running down the 27, uh, I kept having to bite my tongue to, to not try and go get them, and they kept telling me how good I was compared to everyone behind me and had to keep the big picture in mind
1: he kept the big picture in mind. And I love Steve that he referenced right there, that he had to kind of bite his tongue and, and hold back there at the end, even, you know, Christopher's a racer. He wants it. He wanted it. And, and he had a, he had a very fast truck too. Uh,
9: So I'm sure that it was difficult for him to, you know, not want to go for more positions or, or try and track down the leader and just kind of, sit in the position that he was but yeah when when you're got a big picture in the championship ahead of you you know sometimes that changes how you run that championship race
1: yeah it's been very very uh, interesting to watch and on the other side of a break we are going to talk about the rest of the caveats in the truck series championship race as well as look back on the history of brad keselowski racing as brad shuts the doors on the team for now You're listening to Motorsports Madness. Back with more after this on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
7: Parents, your son or daughter has had their license for a while now, but you want to make sure they're prepared for any situation they may face on the road. High school driver's ed doesn't teach them to drive defensively. They need to be prepared for any highway emergency. For less than a month's insurance, and a whole lot less,
4: HMS serves the majority of Monster Energy NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Camping World Truck teams, many IndyCar and IMSA WeatherTech teams, as well as countless SCCA and club-level racers and driving enthusiasts throughout North America. Featuring world-renowned brands like Stilo Helmets, Schroep Belts, Adidas Suits and Shoes, HJC Helmets, Orca Driver Gear, Lifeline Fire Systems, and even RaceCom Radio Kits, HMS representatives are experts in their field and focused on only one thing, making your track driving as safe as possible. With locations in Mooresville, North Carolina and Danvers, Massachusetts, the staff at HMS is always ready to take the time and help you find the right product for your safety needs. Don't settle for second when it comes to motorsport safety. Stop in HMS Motorsport, visit them on their website at hmsmotorsport.com or send them a message on Facebook and tell them the folks from PMN Radio sent you. Hi, this is John Andrasik of Five for Fighting, here for Rad.
5: I'm an HRA pro stock racer, Tanner and You're listening to the Performance Motorsports Network, the voice of motorsports.
1: Welcome back to the Madness here on the Performance Motorsports Network. Jacob Seelman, Tom Baker, James Pike, Rents Brown, Steve Ovens, and Cisco Scaramuza talking Ford Championship weekend, continuing to talk the trucks. Cisco, as it stood, Christopher Bell won the championship Johnny Sauter, Austin Sindrick, and Matt Crafton did not. This was a battle in which for much of the race it looked like the 19 of Syndric was really gonna contend, and in the end the four did what the four does. But, you know, I was a little disappointed that the uh, the veterans at the end of the day uh didn't take the the near miss with as much class as I might have hoped, I guess. Yeah, and
6: I kind of alluded to this last week where I wasn't sure if we were going to see Grumpy Sodder and Grumpy Crafton back again because we got to see them at Martinsville. And they made a triumphant return again at Homestead. And yeah, I have to agree. It didn't kind of show very good.
1: No, no, it didn't. Though uh, Sodder James, was, well, for a while close, but... I mean, good grief. Bell won the title by 10 seconds. It really wasn't close. <laughs> it really wasn't close at the end.
2: No, and it was almost surprising given how good Joni Sauter had been on mile and a half this season and really the last two years. I mean, he really stretched it out just about his whole time at GMS. He's always been pretty good, and he just looked kind of average at the end of that race, kind of like he had on some of the the shorter tracks that the truck series have visited this year, especially those mile tracks. Those are the ones that jump out in my head. And I think, you know, just Johnny Sauter wasn't necessarily all that great there. And you figured that something was going to pop up here and he'd be pretty solid because it's a mile and a half. It's right? But I don't know. Maybe the championship and everything that happened last year lulled us into a false sense of security, lulled them into a false sense of security. I don't know. But it just it wasn't there. It just wasn't there.
4: I honestly think the lack of a caution flag late race makes that look more dramatic perhaps than it was because you saw a couple of different situations over the weekend where, you know, you saw Cole Custer on Saturday win by 15 seconds. But again, I know he was probably the best car, but I don't necessarily think that he was 15 seconds better than the field in reality. And I don't think that Bell was that much better than everybody else necessarily either. But, you know, once you get the momentum going, it's just hard, Jacob, to, uh, to to catch somebody on these tracks. And, you know, we didn't have any caution flags late in the race to close the field up and not that I'm suggesting NASCAR should have created one. Just making the remark that I think a late race caution would have probably given us not necessarily a different result, but I, I think Sauter, at least, was better than what he was able to show.
1: I have it on good authority from several sources in the garage area, Steve, that part of NASCAR's reasoning behind letting this play out the way that it did is because so many fans were whining and complaining and screaming and hollering about debris cautions late in the races. And I was told by somebody in the garage area that basically the prevailing theory was, even if it's there, as long as it's not in a very dangerous place on the the racetrack, all these fans have complained, so we're going to listen, we're going to honor those complaints, and we're not going to call it. Period.
9: Well, so then the question becomes is which group complains the loudest because I had a bunch of people, uh, that knew I was at Homestead this mm-hmm. weekend messaging me saying how boring the race was. The, the races were on TV as far as the Xfinity and the truck race because of the lack of caution flags and the lack of opportunities for restarts. I mean, and think about it this way, guys, if it wasn't for stage racing, we never would have had an opportunity to bunch these cars and trucks up in those two races this weekend. I mean, look, I, I I don't yeah, I don't really care for the, you know, unnecessary debris cautions when, you know, they don't typically at least the ones where they're not showing what's actually going on. Now, whether there's debris or not, I don't know, but you know, these races played out they they were they they just played out as they should have this weekend and and at the end of the day Christopher Bell had the better truck I mean, Cindric uh, was good early, Crafton was really good early but yeah. at the end of the day when it came to the end of the race Crafton Cindric and and Sauter their handling went away they 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 just they just didn't have anything for Christopher Bell.
1: No, they didn't. Austin Sindrick was really the only one for a while that had anything for him. And I want to look for a minute, James, you know, the legacy that Brad Keselowski Racing leaves going out of the truck series. I mean, you know, double digit wins with five or six different drivers. But I really feel like the hallmark for BKR and what Brad built in that team over their eight years, seven, eight years in the truck series was the fact that he gave so many young drivers an opportunity to get to the next level. Tyler Reddick, who's now in the Xfinity Series. Daniel Hemrick, who's now in the Xfinity Series. Ryan Blaney, who is now in the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, Austin Terrio, who became an ARCA champion this year and looks uh, to be headed back towards the national scene here in the near future. I mean, this really, to me, feels like the legacy of BKR is the fact that they were one of the best at developing young talent and helping to propel them forward.
2: There's got to be a few cup drivers sitting in that list at some point, you know. Isn't there? Don't you thought like you just, you get that sense. Now, obviously Blaney's already made it, but I have a hard time believing that he's going to be the only one that comes out of this program. I'm not necessarily certain who's going to be next, but I've got to believe there are going to be a few more that come out of that BKR pipeline and end up doing something.
1: Uh, well, I'm going to (laughs) say, if Daniel Hemrick doesn't end up in an RCR cup car at some point, then I'm going to have to be putting some money in the jar because I firmly believe that that's probably coming. And I believe there's a cup ride in Tyler Reddick's future at some point as well. Uh, And and thank you, Steve, for cough-cough nudging me uh, that both Austin Sindrick and Chase Briscoe, as we referenced earlier, the two current BKR drivers are now headed to the Xfinity Series next year.
9: Yes, they they are going to have an incredible opportunity there, and and I think their performance this weekend showed that they're ready to take to take that step. Oh, you you yeah. hate to to lose two drivers uh, out of the series, but uh, I think that uh, I think that this series has always shown that there is uh, youth that is going to come in and take those spots, and and this is going to give opportunity for other drivers. To come into the series and and compete and, and win races. And I think this is, we're just going through another one of those cycles with the truck series.
1: I hope so, Tom. I know this sport is cyclical, but like you've said, I'm a little nervous about the truck series right now. Just saying.
4: Well, I am too. And when you look at the drivers that were mentioned, I mean, I think that BKR certainly has helped some tremendous talent to advance. Here's the thing that i look at with chase briscoe for example ford has kind of adopted him and what's interesting is if you kind of play this out for a bit you look at him in a year and you ask yourself okay if he if he would be ready for cup in a year where would the opening be in the ford program other than maybe front row where's the opening and then you look at him and even in two years and you ask yourself, where's the opening? I mean, SHR is going to be solid um, mm-hmm. once Custer gets up it, into that uh, into that fold. Um, I don't know. This is going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of years with some of these Ford drivers. And even you mentioned Tyler Reddick. I mean, unless he ends up Replacing Jimmy Johnson in the forty-eight, he's got to go out. The
1: one that said that, just well, saying. Yeah,
4: I, I but and see, I'm not sold on it, but we'll see. Um, but you know, he would have to go outside of the Hendrick organization to be able to catch on. It's it's really going to be interesting to watch.
1: Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting, and I know we've spent a lot of time talking about the possible future of the Truck Series. There's a lot of people. Uh, that have told me that the Delta engine program after Johnny Sauter's test a couple of weeks ago is pretty much set in stone and ready to roll out for 2018. We've not gotten the final press release on that, but I feel uh, fairly confident in saying that we're going to see that happen in 2018, and it's going to be interesting. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day about this actually Tom in the fact that this with the with the spec engine program whenever they do roll it out is going to save these teams close to $25,000 per motor stop and stop and think about that cost savings over the course of an entire year that's ridiculous when you think about it and you consider oh probably close to to 50 motors at you know, almost twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars a pop. That's a lot of money that you're going to be able to put back into the team's hands to do other things with and to help better the programs. For the smaller teams, at the very least, it's a huge thing.
4: Well, the problem is you have to buy those motors first, and see that's where a lot of the smaller teams. Well, have the problem i was
1: talking to one of the smaller teams that said even the cost for buying the motors is going to be less than the built motors right now that's that's where a lot of the cost savings is coming well, yes in. but you've
4: already got the built motors accumulated and you have to go buy the other ones and it, you know the the big problem the truck series has is the cost of travel and the race at you know the big track yeah. level and that's really where we're at with that. I, I yeah. think the motors certainly could be a help, but I, I think they've got other things to address with that series if they're going to actually get it back to where it was. We'll just have to see, but I'll you know, i continue to, to be optimistic.
1: Fair enough. We're going to take our final break. When we come back, going to tie a few more things together. We'll reflect on Matt Kenseth. We'll reflect on Danica Patrick and the news of what she's going to be doing in 2018. And then we'll try and put a bow on this 2017 NASCAR season. You're listening to Motorsports Madness, the white flag after this on PMN, the Performance Motorsports Network.
7: How to be a great dad in 15 seconds. Bike ride, go fish, walk in the park, phone call, milkshake, play catch, picnic, fly a kite, tell jokes, laugh, talk, read a story, tell a story, bumper car, swing set, bowling, pillow fight, cut loose, stay tight. (sighs) Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. If you're a gearhead that knows his or her stuff, or a young up-and-comer that has the motivation and drive to succeed, then you need to make this call today, 302-827-2054.
11: Hi, I'm Tyler Reddick, and you're listening to Race Talk on the Performance Motorsports Network.
1: Welcome back to the Madness. Here on PMN, Jacob Seelman, Tom Baker, James Pike, Rents Brown, Cisco Scaramuza, and Steve Ovens. A veritable six-pack, as we've been for most of the night. Uh, One final segment to put a bow on things. It was not just Dale Jr. we put a bow on the career of, at least in the full-time sense, Over the weekend, you had Matt Kenseth run what we believe is his final Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series race. James Pike, top 10 finish for Matty. No pomp and circumstance and fanfare like what Junior got, but you know what? I don't think Matt would have wanted any of that even if it were afforded to him that's just not Matt's style he went out had a quiet race and (laughs) rode off into the sunset by climbing out of the car and walking away that's kind of the Matt Kenseth way I guess no
2: I think Matt Kenseth is going to go down as one of if not the most underappreciated drivers this sport has ever seen for a lot of reasons Uh, I will think of his incredible sense of humor, which for my money has been right up there. I'd say he and Tony Stewart have probably been the two funniest drivers in the garage for the past 20 years
8: because they're still
2: good at pulling the jokes out of left field. But beyond that, Kenseth has just been so consistently good as a driver. You want a guy who can consistently go get you top five, top tens, week in, week out? Kent's been basically the best guy at doing that for the entirety of his career. Maybe not necessarily risen up to the Jimmy Johnson-esque win-everything levels in playoff time that we've seen from the 48 crew, but uh, you know that's not Matt's style either. It's to be steady, to be consistent, and to be smart. I mean, shoot, I think his legacy's going to be he completely... Uh, out consistency if that's ever a verb the entire (laughs) field so much that they created the playoff system to make sure that a run like that could never win you a championship ever again which i suppose is a little bit unfortunate but that's how good matt was in 2003 and i don't think we should ever forget that and i don't think we should ever forget how good of an influence Matt's been on the sport I think a lot of people are going to miss him a lot next year and I think a lot of people aren't going to recognize how much they miss him until he's not in a car at Daytona and you don't see him around as much
1: yeah I agree with that Rents and uh, actually Steve in our uh, host chat just brought up a really interesting point uh, in the fact that I can't think of a, the last driver to score a top 10 in their debut and in their last race. But Matt bookended mm-hmm. his career. Top 10, top 10.
3: Well, as a Jeff Gordon fan, and you know, my first race as a uh, as a fan was Gordon shoving Ken's at the Bristol, no six. Hmm. So, uh, didn't really have that great of an appreciation for Matt Ken's that I do now. I was, I was at auto club this year and I was talking to Dale jr. Uh, I think it was after about second practice and we're talking, we're talking, we get done with the interview and Matt Kenseth is just walking alone by himself. No one coming up to him. And Dale just leans over and just goes, damn man. Sometimes I just wish I could have a sandwich and walk alone in peace around the racetrack and just staring at Matt Kenseth. Matt's the type of guy that is underappreciated in the sport. People forget that the playoff format is because of Matt Kenseth and how badly he made everyone else look in 2003 and his the biggest thing with Matt Kenseth guys is the the fact that he is a robot in the race car he is so consistent when he gets behind the wheel and he runs lap after lap after lap he'll stay in that same time frame every single time that he gets into the car and not a lot of, of emotion, obviously, but he and Alan Kowicki, as I said last week, put Wisconsin on the map in terms of NASCAR Cup Series racing, and it's something to behold. And, you know, people are saying Matt's going to come back, Max, Matt's, Matt's going to come back. And honestly, guys, he's 45 now. You give him two years, he's 47 years old. What 47-year-old athlete will come back in the peak of their career with a driver that or the car that they've been out of for a year? So I do believe this is his last ride and what a hell of a ride it's been for Matt Kenseth. I think that he's shown a lot of championship, you know, adversity, you know, two Daytona 500 championships, um the Cup Series championship contended with so many different cars and put the cars on his back, Jacob and Yeah. We talk Dale Jr, but Matt Kenseth has to have a standing ovation and applause as well because He's a guy in the sport that, as James said, we will miss. Come 2018, when we look around and say, "Where's the Iceman? Where did he yeah. go?"
1: Yeah, I agree with all of that. Now to transition slightly, I—if I, you listen to the fans—a whole lot of people, a whole lot less people are going to miss the third driver in this trio that uh, took their fi- well, their final bow as a full-time driver. Over the weekend, but we did get the announcement, Tom, on Friday that Danica Patrick, that Homestead was her last race as a full-time driver. However, she's not quite done. She's committed to two races in 2018. It's a big deal. She's running the 2018 Daytona 500 and capping it all off where she made most of her racing history and coming back for the 2018 Indianapolis 500 this is going to be fun, and I don't care what the results sheets say. Danica Patrick has made positive ripples in this sport, and it was in a way hard for me to see her take her last bow as a full-time driver. I didn't want to see her go out the way she did in the race either, but you know, this sport needs somebody like Danica that can really champion the the female drivers and and help bring them forward. You know, I, I just hope somebody else can eventually come and fill that void that she leaves here.
4: Yeah, what's tough about this is that, you know, it's easy to... It's easy to be critical of Danica. It's easy to, you know, say things... Okay, she didn't win a race, she barely finished in the top five. She didn't do this or didn't do that, or she crashed a lot. But the truth of the matter is that Danica was responsible and is responsible for bringing a lot of attention to the sport from younger females, and particularly a lot of the female drivers who run in divisions like quarter midgets and legends cars and so forth. You know, Danica was a role model for them, And although she never really developed into an elite driver in NASCAR Mm -hmm. and, you know, in IndyCar, honestly, she didn't exactly set the world on fire. The fact of the matter is she really was a presence and she was uh, I think she opened some doors. And I'm hoping like you that we see more female drivers trying to break in because I don't think that it's impossible for a female driver to become a top NASCAR driver. I think we saw Janet Guthrie years ago and in, in inferior equipment run in the top 10 several times. We've seen, you know, other drivers over the years that have done well, Patty Moise had some pretty decent runs, but, it's just tough. It it really is difficult for the for the females. I think Danica would be interesting to watch in a sports car. To be honest, I yeah. kind of like to see her get into a sports car. But I think it's good. She's going to run Daytona. She'll run Indy. It doesn't. We haven't heard who with yet. Um, but the speculation for that's kind of fun.
1: Yeah, I, I, I it's going to be interesting, Cisco. Really quickly, and then I want to give one around the table before we wrap this up. But the rumors have already started. Well, who's she going to drive for? And I believe there's one very good team owner out there that could field pretty sporty one-offs for both of those races. Cough, cough. Chip Ganassi, cough, cough. And, I mean, let's also not forget that there's another
6: one, Cough, cough, Andretti, who just did that this past year. So Well, Michael's either, already
1: said he has no room at the inn at all. Well, you know,
6: if if something changes, I'm sure... It'll, it'll happen sooner or later, but I tend to agree. Michael's probably right in the fact that they've got a full plate on them at and Andretti, but to go back to Danica just returning to her sport, I, you know, IndyCar is a very, very tight-knit commu- community. We've seen that a lot through just the friendships that these drivers have made and almost not necessarily, you know, I don't even necessarily care where she finishes, but just the fact that she'll be able to go back and, you know, be with the people that she ran with for so long of her career. And, you know, it's it's always been said that, you know, IndyCar fans generally are fans of pretty much every driver in that series. You always, they always speak highly of each other. Yeah, sure, you have, you know, the rivalries between Ganassi and Penske. But at the end of the day, you know, these are, you know, as Bob Jenkins I think of, he's able to call all these drivers by names. It's not... Graham Ray Hall. It's Graham. It's not Michael or Mario Andretti. It's Michael and Mario, and it's not Elio Castroneves. It's Elio. So I think for her, it's going to be a homecoming, and I think a homecoming that will garner a lot of a lot of happiness and a lot of respect out of that
1: community over in Indy. I do hope so, and we wish her all the best going into her final couple of races in 2018. A lot of chapters came to a close over the weekend and you know, leave us with a lot of memories to go forward. So for our final around the table, I'll go Tom, then James, then Rents, then Cisco, then Steve on this, and there will be a pop quiz later. Favorite memory of the 2017 season or favorite moment?
4: Oh, I hate this because you can never pick just one, but I I really think I'm just going to go big picture on this and say Martin Truex victory lane after Homestead because I think there was so much emotion bottled up into the season for that team under so many really tough circumstances and they beat them all. And I think that's really what I'm going to remember most is that if there's ever a time when we are allowed to be slightly biased and mm-hmm. say that the right team won the championship, I think this year the, the end of the book was exactly the way it should have been. Yes. True X champion, James.
2: Yeah. Agreed. And maybe it's the recency effect, but I'll just live with it. So Truex. X, encapsulating everything to come through all the adversity to win last year was so, so cool to see. So shout out to him for battling through to make it happen to see for doing it for the dirt trackers to Byron for doing it for the sim racers for Danica for trailblazing for Matt, for bringing the last for junior for bringing the fans and for everybody who made 2017 possible also because I can formula one in Abu Dhabi this weekend. If you want to see it great, championship battle in Australian supercars comes to a close at a new street circuit in Newcastle. Jamie Wincup, Scott McLaughlin, separated by 30 points with two races to go this weekend, so you can catch that if you want to, Friday and Saturday night in the States. And finally, if you like yourself some sim racing, Cisco and I are going to go hop onto LSR TV and bring you the real sim racing finale from Homestead here in about 30 minutes. So check that out on YouTube if you want. Four drivers, heads up for the title, just like the real thing should be fun.
1: All right. Now that James has gotten all his little blurbs in, Rent's favorite memory.
3: Um, it's a toss up really is Trucks winning the title and it's Jeremy Clements winning at road America, Ooh, just showing that the yes, little teams that yes. can win. Both are both are underdog stories and quick shout out to Ron Malik. That was his final race on uh, atop the 48 box this weekend. He's going into a managerial position. Yeah, He is not coming back on top of the 48 box in 2018 as car chief.
1: Another end of an era. Cisco. Mine's, mine's a tie.
6: Mine's a tie. And they were both in the truck series. It was Bubba Wallace getting it done at Michigan. And yes. it was Parker Kligerman winning at Talladega. Both of those for me. Bubba winning in equipment after you know all the adversity that he went through. And then to see Parker, someone that I've actually, you know, gotten an interview a little bit and be able to work a little bit with on the media side for me is just, you know, that was I was doing my happy dance when that happened. So both Truck Series memories for me, it was just a fantastic year there too. I don't think I even
9: have to ask, Steve. I really don't. November 19th, 2017. Mic drop. Dale Jr.
1: For me... I, I think it's a toss-up between the pit party on pit road for Junior's last ride and the hug that was exchanged between Martin Truex and Sherry Pollock before they ever got to the championship stage. And what Sherry whispered in Martin's ear one more time, never give up. This season was about adversity overcome, and... Adversity Overcome has been the theme across all three series for a lot of different storylines, a lot of different reasons, and that's what I'm going to remember out of this 2017 season. It's been fun, and guess what? There is oh, let's see, 90 days, I believe, until the 2018 Daytona 500. We're already looking ahead, but we're not done this year on the Madness. We are back next Monday, same time, 7 p.m. Eastern, here on PMN for the beginnings of off-season talk. So tune in then. Until then, thanks to Mike Garrity, our social media partners at Three Wide Life, as well as Bob Steele, Susan Mason, Bill Holt behind the glass, and all the folks at PMN for making this show possible. So for Tom Baker, James Pike, Rents Brown, Cisco Scaramuza, and Steve Evans, I'm Jacob Seumann reminding you to keep it off the wall, folks. And we might just see you at the racetrack somewhere. Have a safe racing weekend. Till we meet again.
0: You've been listening to Motorsports Madness with the Race Chaser Online crew. Stay tuned to Performance Motorsports Network for more race talk. For the latest motorsports news, visit racechaseronline.com. Motorsports Madness is a copyrighted production of the Performance Motorsports Network, www.performancemotorsportsnetwork.com. A member of the Scorpion Radio Group Incorporated and may not be rebroadcast, replicated, or saved in any media without the explicit written permission of PMN. Check out our Facebook page or our section in the PMN website. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host, co-hosts, and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the management and ownership of either the Performance Motorsports Network or Scorpion Radio Group Incorporated, the advertisers, or the marketing partners. Be listening again next week when the madness returns on Monday night at 7 Eastern. Until then, keep it off the wall and keep the shiny side up.